Bitcoin's driven by the character and the conviction of the hodlers. Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I'm the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. I can't wait to, to get into this one with Michael and Jeff. Bold over that they uh, both took the time out to to come on and to discuss you know these topics together and uh, get each other's opinions on things and um, get into some, of course, rabbit holes all over the place wherever they led us. Uh, before we get into this, I would like to shill coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten if you're in the UK. That's the exchange you want to use to go start stacking some sats. They're a Bitcoin-only company. And our friends across the pond in the US, hello everybody there, you know where to go. It's swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten. Start your DCA journey into the world of Bitcoin. Use that link and you'll get $10 free when you sign up. So. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Let's get into this one with Jeff and Michael. Hey, guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining us is Jeff Booth and Michael Saylor. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, agreeing to do this and, and taking the time. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yep. Happy to be here. And we have the first question coming from, uh, we're going to split them up. Caitlin's going to go first. She's going to ask Jeff a question because uh, she asked, Parker, a question before when he was on the show uh, due to your economics class. Uh, what's your question for, for Jeff? What is deflation? <laughs> uh, the simple way to understand deflation is is when goods and services go down in price relation to in relation to your money. Okay. And um, is that like, why, why do people think it's a bad thing? Because our entire economic system is built for inflation. And so personally, you wouldn't think it's a bad thing. If, if, if you could buy more with your, uh, with your money, that would be a really good thing in your life. Yet somehow we fail to understand that, um, that when you move up to a system that works differently, that requires kind of your currency value to go down, um, it doesn't seem to fit. So I don't personally think it's a bad thing. It's, uh, it's a bad thing for how the existing monetary system operates. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Caitlin, I don't think rational people think deflation is a bad thing. Like, <laughs> I, I can't, you know, I can't imagine any intelligent, reasonable person thinking that prices going down over time is a bad thing. But for whatever reason, we have irrational politicians and socialists, I guess, and intellectuals that somehow think it's a bad thing for prices to go down over time. And They've gotten control of the narrative and the media, and they're very noisy, and, and they kind of talk to each other frequently enough that somehow one person says it's important that we have inflation, and the second one nods, and the third one nods, and there doesn't seem to be any rational, intelligent person in the middle to pull the circuit breaker to point out that 
it's pretty much the stupidest thing you've ever heard in your entire life. And for, you know, work, prices yeah, should go up. And, you know, when you say, why do you want prices to go up? Or, you know, or it's like, so people aggressively do stuff now. It's very important. Like, we want your money to lose all of its value in a hurry so that you'll spend it in a hurry. And we want the prices to go up so you'll act in a hurry. It's kind of like taking a cattle prod to a bunch of people and making it very uncomfortable for them. I, it reminds me of when we were, you know, it, they used to talk about fast food restaurants and they said that they basically turned the temperature down to make it really uncomfortable and cold and they put you on plastic benches so people would hurry up and eat and leave the restaurant. And uh, someone thought this was a really good idea. And I kind of, I kind of feel like inflation is kind of like politicians making it very uncomfortable for you to live your life, so you'll move on somehow. And when they say it enough, people start to nod and agree with it. But there's just nothing rational about it to anyone that stops to think about it for a bit. It's kind of yes, sad that it's sad. not more controversial, really. <laughs> no, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Although Jeff's book is doing a good job of stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> Next um, question. Lauren has Lauren has a question for, for Uncle Chad, which uh, has been on her mind ever since uh, I told her about it. Um, are children allowed to go to the hundred k party? <laughs> 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 children can come to the hundred k party, but they'll be wearing special wristbands that will prevent them from imbibing of alcoholic beverages. <laughs> 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 and I'm sure they'll have to be escorted by their parents or or gar appropriate guardian. Otherwise, this was, uh, this, all fine. This was the uh, the the. the well, I was telling them about your interview with uh, with John Vallis the other day, and how the hundred k party come up at the end, and it's just being memed out of um, the stratosphere on, on Twitter. And uh, that was Lauren's question. But wait a minute, wait. Can kids come to the 100K party? Not even okay. knowing what they okay. When is the 100K party? You, and can let kids me tell come? you, uh, I don't have any children. Uh, so you keep, you keep working that angle. You, know, you might get more than just a party invitation. Uh, so, so that's the first, the first thing I think when I'm referred to as uncle. My Twitter's going to blow up. I'm going to have, like, <laughs> have a lot of thousand. nieces and nephews. <laughs> yeah, nieces and nephews. But, uh, <laughs> but the second observation is the reason that I really love Bitcoiners and the reason I think Bitcoin is going to dominate the world and we're going to beat and crush everything in front of us is because when you talk to a typical investor and you're talking about Bitcoin, they'll say something like, well, you know, Bitcoin, I bought some of it and I bought some gold and it's an uncorrelated asset. And I put a couple percent of my portfolio, I put 1% of my portfolio into it, or it's a hedge. Or I put 2% or I'm thinking about it, you know, and I, well, I like the asymmetric risk reward and it's uncorrelated. It has really nice back tested characteristics on our stochastic models. And they give you all this very antiseptic, whatever you know, in a, in a hyper, hyper mathematical financial speak, you know, and you're thinking, you're like, oh yeah. So they sort of bought some and they've got it over here in the corner. That's what most conventional investors say when they talk about Bitcoin. 
with Bitcoiners, <laughs> with Bitcoiners, you know, the price is 15,000. And John asked me to throw a party at 100,000. And the only response of Bitcoiners is, as soon as we're off the podcast, how do I get on the list? How do I get on the list? Because they're sure that the list to the party is going to be packed, oversubscribed sometime by the end of the day. Then they start fighting with each other to get on the list. But there's no question in their mind that it's going to 100,000. That's not the question. The question is, will I get on the party list before someone else? Because this is surely coming fast. And then the next question is, can my kids get on the list? And you got to say, if one group of people think one way, which is, I, you know, I don't have enough Bitcoin and I better buy some more and I better get it fast before it gets away from me. And the other group of people are thinking, yeah, well, I've got this and I might trade it for that. And maybe it might fit into this small slot over here. It's like, which group of people are you going to bet on? Who do you believe in? Yeah, but Michael, I, if you like, if you just take what you just said, and 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 that's probably why you came came out in the community so strong. When you bought Bitcoin on your balance sheet, right? When you did went down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin and understood what it means, um, that said to a whole bunch of people, "Wow!" So it, this person has uh, has gone down the rabbit hole. And, and what it said to me is this. Um, Entrepreneurs, that's what we do, right? Entrepreneurs look at the world and they say, this doesn't make any sense, right? And they, and, and they take a different, uh, different path. And if they're right on that path, and they have no problem defending their path because they've gone so de deep into that path, defending their future view of reality. Um, and I loved, I think it was on John's show, where you said, I was prepared for a whole bunch of people to think I was nuts for the first year or two. Um, and, and, and that's what entrepreneurs do, right? They see a different uh, world. And if you look at the world we live in right now, on one side, it's completely manipulation, right? The entire monetary policy is all about manipulation. And it's fooling a whole bunch of people to think it's real. Um, and they're living in their the, the kind of... The, on quicksand, the entire thing, if you stopped manipulation, the entire market resets, banks fail everything on one side, and people think it's still reality, right? And if you actually push on that question more and more and say, what does it really look like? It forces you to look at the other side. And so when you went through that path and you understood what it's gonna look like in, in the future, I think you brought a whole bunch of people back into this my book did the same thing because these two worlds are incongruent together. Deflationary technology, human innovation should be deflationary, especially with where technology is going. That's the, in a free market. It has to be uh, it, uh, fundamentally. It has to be. And so anything else is voting for more manipulation and more government control. And so, and, and as we, as we go through this, we're finding more and more people kind of on Bitcoin that realize, oh my God, this isn't just a lifeboat. This is, this might be the, the greatest invention of mankind because it, it's a force functioning for free market and away from control, right? And so you get, um, and I, I would say 
if I go a little deeper on some of the Bitcoiners come across and it looks self-interested and it looks like it's about money and it looks about everything else. I think deeper than that, it's, it's about a fair world. It's about something that's not controllable, confiscatable, everything else. It's about something that works like a free market should work um, and away from government control. And, and so, so when you went through that path and then put that on your balance sheet and then personally went through that path too, I think it's and what you're seeing more and more people are doing, making that choice. It's pretty obviously where, obvious where we're going to go from, a, from how much this is worth as well. Yep. <laughs> but I, but, but, I, but, about- I, but, yeah, but, but I love the fact that, and, and a lot of the people in the Bitcoin community, I love the fact that there are long-term holders. They don't care, right? They believe in this and, and, and where this is going as a result of that is going to blow people's minds. Well, let, let's talk about perception of Bitcoin and worldview, because I think it's a very interesting thing that I've been thinking about for the past few days. For example, I'll post something. I'll post something about Bitcoin, like, you know, Bitcoin's a monetary network or, or you post anything, anything clear, clarifying about Bitcoin. And you've got all these trolls and naysayers and negativists and they'll all say something negative or, or, or non-constructive one way or the other. Or they'll say, you're just shilling your bags. Like shilling your, I've seen shilling your bags so many times on Twitter. I think what kind of intelligent people use these words when they're, when they're articulating thoughts, right? Like it's almost like every time you have a, a, a thought, someone wants to drag it down to the most base impulse and um i'm i'm struck with this this thought that bitcoin is whatever the hodlers believe it is it's bitcoin's driven by the character and the conviction of the hodlers so if uh if they're looking out 10 years and and they believe this is a long-term source of of virtue and value than it will be and they'll hold it and if all if there's volatility if it trades down then then a person that believes in it with conviction just says oh it's low today that means the people that believe in it like me can buy a lot of it and the people that don't believe in it will sell and they'll get out and that's good and it'll get stronger and stronger and stronger so you can have that view or you can have the other view, which is it traded down today, and that's because it's a bad thing. We all have to sell it. It's going to zero. You have to go buy something else. You have to trade, 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 trade. And I'm, I'm amazed at how people just bring their prejudices and biases to this thing. And if they, if they bring fear, uncertainty, and doubt, they have a very short time horizon, and all they do is relentlessly amplify fear, uncertainty, and doubt whenever they get an opportunity. And if they bring courage, um, conviction, and trust, which is kind of what John channels, it's what all the maximalists channel, I think it's what you're channeling here, Daniel. If they're channeling courage, conviction, and trust, that's, that is what Dan Held channels. <clears throat> that's the hodler 
community, that's the maximalist mindset. When they come from a place of that, they're kind of akin to the Roman citizens of 2,000 years ago, the Romans that believed that that the Roman Empire and the Roman way was the best way, and they were proud to be a Roman citizen, and they were eventually going to triumph, and and it was the right thing to do, and everybody else would be crushed before them. And as long as they believed that, Rome expands. As long as people believe in the maximalist credo that this is the ultimate you know, the ultimate form of money, right? Um, then uh, it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger, and nobody can defeat it. There's, I mean, no one can take this thing down as long as the holders, the hodlers of Bitcoin believe in it. And when you have the other side, all these, these negative pessimists, yeah, and you can see them, it's like, they're they're either conflicted, like they're just they're just shilling some altcoin or some you know like they're they're either pushing gold or they're pushing Ethereum or they're pushing Bcash or they're pushing they're pushing some kind of alternate thing, super megatron that's got the super proof of stake, random energy efficient, you know, atomic overthruster thingy. They're either pushing that and that that's why they're pushing it. Or they're just negative cynics, and uh, they just hit you with fear, fear, uncertainty, doubt, fud, so fud, 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 all over again. And so I guess, I guess my thought is right that that what if you if you have any kind of ecosystem where your investors are dominated by the fud, it's going to fail. It's a short term faux asset. And if you have the opposite, which is people with conviction, commitment. And trust, you have a long-term virtue. And the world is dividing up into those two schools of thought right now, and we see them in front of our face. So let, let's look, though. So when you say that, and here's the one thing I worry about when you say that. Um, I, it's not that I disagree with it. It's that, um, it's that if you've already gone down the rabbit hole and understand why, from a first principles, this makes so much sense, you can't understand why other people don't. Um, it, it can't understand that. You, and, and what it does is it makes you probably over aggressive on why Bitcoin's going to be successful. And and quite honestly, it put, sometimes it pushes people away, and they get scared and everything else. It, like if you look at the internet where the internet was in 1995, you know this, right? Internet in 95, it took half an hour to download a cat picture. And there's a whole bunch of the same people. If you look, go look back, type in 1995, what people thought of the internet, it, it, titans of industry thought it was a joke, right? It, um, a total joke. And those titans of industry at that time are no longer titans of industry because an entire ecosystem was rebuilt on top of uh, something that was moving, by the way, at the same rate, exactly the same rate as in, uh, uh, Bitcoin is moving today. 15 million users in 1995 and it looked and and people mistook what it could do at that point for what it would do in the future and they missed the entire value creation that came on top of that and but why people make this mistake is pretty obvious right they're caught in an existing system and that existence existing system that is ink that existing system inflationary monetary system that you talked about Caitlin with with Caitlin 
it actually doesn't make any sense. It makes zero sense. But all of the measurement that people are measuring their lives by are in that system. And it's incongruent with another system that is operating differently. And they don't know what to make. And they try to put these things together. People don't ask. They think housing always goes up. And they don't ask, would have housing gone up in the last 20 years if there wasn't $185 trillion of stimulus, right? Nor do they ask, will there be another $300 trillion of stimulus in the next 20 years to keep housing going up? Right. And, that, and so when you, when you actually break it down from a first principle standpoint, you realize the entire economic system that we, uh, that we have today fails without manipulation. Without, and, and exponentially more in, uh, uh, manipulation. So on one side, that manipulation is, is more government control, more more printing of money, more government control, to uh, on the, on one side to hold asset prices high so they don't fall, and then to be able to give other people money to pay for those high asset prices, and it's all manipulation. And 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 and, and I'll go one deeper. People, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast and say, global cli- climate change is the number one issue for our planet today. This is the number one issue. It's an order of magnitude more energy to pretend you have a system. How much more energy in oil, jobs, everything else that is all manipulation? That is that I have to keep prices going higher. I have to have more jobs. I have to have more oil. I have to have more shipments, everything else. That is all caused by printing more money. It's so, so, but, but, you're, everybody's in the system, and it's impossible to measure an entire system by one in, independent variable of a system. So people get caught and they get scared. And and Bitcoin is a new system. It's an entirely new system. It's very early, um, and and governments are likely going to try to stop it. There's going to be a whole bunch of things, and we could walk through that, Daniel, if you want. Kind of as if you looked at game theory, and if you looked at what's going to happen next, if you looked at the anti-PO that they pulled back in China, I bet you the anti-PO pulling back is actually caused is is more important on what we're talking about in the digital yuan digital currency. <laughs> trying to make that a digital currency, if we go in, into into that. Um, there's a predictable path, and it's not because governments are bad, it's not because anything else, is because there's a predictable path as a monopoly tries to save itself, what they do to try to save themselves. That's what we're seeing in, in the monopoly of currencies in the world. And essentially by stopping creative destruction at the company level and economy level, all creative destruction did is moved up to the monetary level. That's where we are today. And the entire monetary policy of the world is about, it might take years, there might be fling back and forth, Bitcoin go up and down and everything else. But it's already written in history, it won't look like this anymore. It's going to, it's going to cha- change. And Bitcoin is, it is that change. It's that important to change. Because if you, if you look deeper, then you're actually voting if you want the existing system and you know the existing system has to require more manipulation, you're actually voting 
with choosing that system for more manipulation, more government control. And if you vote for that system for more government control, um, then what can be taken away from you, what can be given to you can be taken away just as as easily. It turns into totalitarian control. And on the other side is free uh, is a free market, and and so that fight is likely to be the fight of our time, and 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 way deeper than how much money I make on Bitcoin or anything else. I care about that because governments can't governments don't create capital, right? They do now, but 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 the free market <laughs> um, creates innovation. And the free market always creates more innovation because it's trillions of experiments that is really harsh that we fail as entrepreneurs if we don't win, right? And the only way we win is providing more value to you. Um, and then and then we go through it again as every competitor tries to compete against us. That's what it looks like in the free, free market. And the benefit of that is deflation. So fighting that is robbing humanity. It, it, it's it's so staggering, and the, so so that's the, how important this fight is. That's why the hodlers, what, what Michael's is talking about, are I I would say the deeper ones that understand what this means to free markets and what this means to to society in general. It it's the biggest it's a, it's the biggest fight of our time. It is the biggest invention. Uh, it's a, mankind's greatest invention. And I wonder for for any uh, business owners that uh, are listening to this, we've got uh, two very uh, successful uh, business uh, entrepreneurs here that um, that are both way down the rabbit hole in Bitcoin and understand it in, in ways many of us have even yet to come to realize. Um, I, I don't think for, for those people that are just uh, sat in a boardroom and thinking about going into Bitcoin, like this point about the hodlers that. that that's not something you could just like explain in one meeting. You, you, do you know what I mean? It's not like something that's that's going to become evident to them. So I'd be interested to know, and if we can help anyone else out there that's um, this uh, uh, kind of um, thinking about this, what are the kind of conversations, Jeff, that, that you face in the boardroom uh, and the, the various companies that you sit at? And then uh, Michael, obviously, would, would love to hear your input on that. Um, Obviously, you you were in a, a situation where you had uh, the most voting rights and you could get this thing done quickly. And I don't think anyone can ever pull that card again the way that you did it. I think that's a one and done micro strategy, unbelievable, brilliant way that you pulled it off. Uh, and so I'd like to get in some kind of boardroom level discussions between you guys. So, Jeff, what, what have you kind of been facing and um, how are you trying to get around the problem and over the barrier to, to help other people understand? So I find if you don't just start with Bitcoin, if you start with the entire what what it looks like and where it goes, it's way easier to then open the door into somebody wanting to look deeper. Um, what 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 Michael did and what you what you said with Michael is actually that's what an entrepreneur does. They are willing to risk it all and they're willing to put it on the line and and suffer the consequences if they're they're wrong. That's actually why the entrepreneurial process works so much to drive innovation, because it's a million, it's trillions of those bets on people's uh, on people's innovations, and they have no problem making it. Um, and and by the way, to make that bet, why you have to go so deep and understand your bet, way deeper than most people will go, is because of that, right? You don't you don't want to be wrong. 
And so Michael's point and what he did to be able to get here, um, which we could never cover on this show, is is what an entrepreneur does. It's what I personally did. It's what I uh, personally, before I wrote the book, I wanted to go to down the rabbit hole on every piece of this to understand where does this go? At what happens next? What's the what? What will central banks do? What will the uh, what will all of the next steps be in relation to this? So that same thing is happening in every boardroom around. And what I would say is most of the boardrooms that are not tightly controlled would have a harder time getting here because they're looking at it through the same thing that Michael said before. They they're looking at it through okay, how do I'll put a little bit of my treasury in here maybe eventually and and when some of the risks are are um, what would I look like? How would it, how do I cover my ass? How do I do everything else? And the more people that are coming on, it actually creates a more of an incentive because the cover your ass is handled. Right, so that's happening right now, and that network effect is is moving, uh, is moving. But it is still um, how early we are in this cycle, how staggeringly early we are. Um, it, it, because when you have this conversation in a, in a boardroom, you realize, wow, the understanding is not like it is in the Bitcoin community. The understanding is way back, right? Um, and so, so. For me, it's kind of walking people through. If you can understand, if you can get them to understand that the entire system is a mirage and it requires more printing, and not just by the U.S. government, it's Canadian government, it's uh, it's Euro, it's everywhere. You you want it's all of that. Then they will look more to wait. Okay, where does this end? And that and then start to explore Bitcoin at a, a deeper level. But in the boardroom, uh, so in companies that are entrepreneur controlled, you find a faster time. It, it moves faster. And and another, so two of my friend, two two really good friends are co-owners of hedge funds. Both of them, both of them personally hold Bitcoin, and they have for a long time, and are buying more. And now now it's starting to say, how do I move it into the hedge fund? But they've been holders for a long time. So, so, so they're making the personal choice, and a lot of people are first making the personal choice, and then realizing, okay, this, this is a good personal choice. How do I move it into my company as a choice? Michael, do you want to uh, pick up on that? And um, any, anything to add? Um, well, you know, I think it's it's a lot easier to incrementally introduce good ideas than it is to to overcome systemic bad ones. So I don't think we're going to win the, any particular broad-based political debate over inflation or the way governments work one way or the other. I think that the, the best idea is just introduce an incremental virtue. And so Bitcoin as our incremental virtue. And I think you can in- introduce Bitcoin as an incremental virtue. In a, it's, there's a variety of vectors. One way to introduce Bitcoin uh, to the world is just to say it's pharmaceutical grade gold. It's synthetic gold it, with, with none of the impurities, none of the hangover, none of the liabilities of gold, all of the good attributes of gold dematerialized better. And uh, you go to people that think that gold is worth $10 trillion and you offer them pharmaceutical grade 
synthetic, and then there's 10 trillion there. And so that's one group of people, the gold bugs. And we talked about that. You know, I said, we should just go get the gold bugs. Um, they've got a certain view of the world in their head that causes them to want to buy gold. And once they realize that they're buying the dirty, impure stuff that's full of dirt, you know, and rocks, and they can actually buy the pure stuff, then you'll get them. The second approach is, uh, is, uh, to go and, um, find the people that, um, believe in tech, big tech investors, people that would buy Apple stock, Amazon stock, Google, Facebook stock, you know? And I, I mean, I noted, uh, I, I put out on the wire today, I said, you know, Apple could probably make a hundred billion dollars for their shareholders if they build a crypto wallet into the iPhone, if they build Bitcoin into Apple pay, and if they started to buy BTC with their treasury reserves, it's like a slam dunk, simplest thing in the world, right? It's a very simple idea. Um, and uh, so if you like Apple, and if you made a lot of money off of Apple and made a lot of money off, a lot of people made a lot of money on Facebook. You know, a lot of people made a lot of money on, um, on Google. A lot of people made a lot of money on Amazon. They all kind of know how that works, which is a software network dematerializes stuff and gets to be bigger, you know, gets to be Godzilla and eats everything in its path. <laughs> And, uh, and spews huge amounts of wealth on and showers huge amounts of wealth on everybody. So <clears throat> if you lay out the proposition that Bitcoin is a monetary network and you can plug pure monetary energy into an iPhone, that's kind of interesting. And so but maybe the guys at Apple just want the $100 billion. By, by the way, maybe they don't. Maybe they're going to take three years to get there, but maybe that'll cause the guys at Square... You know, it, is it? It's not or lost am, upon Amazon. me, or not, not lost. Yeah, not lost upon me that if they bought a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin eight weeks ago, instead of buying fifty million worth of Bitcoin eight weeks ago, they would be up six hundred million dollars right now. So it costs them six hundred million dollars or five hundred million dollars to be tentative. Okay, that was you know so send that message to the treasurer, the CFO of Square, maybe they would do it because they wanted the extra half a billion, but maybe maybe they would do it because they're thinking, well, if Apple's going to do it, we better do it first. If it's a good idea for Apple to build it into Apple Pay, then it's a good idea for Square. And of course, they've already, they've already done sort of that, right? They've already done that with Square Cash. They haven't done the other piece of it, which is to put their treasury fully into it. They've just dipped their, their little finger into it and they don't own the iPhone. So they, they can't, they can't build a hardware wallet or secure element into a piece of hardware, which Apple could, and which, you know, Samsung, I think they have, right. I mean, like they've been dabbling with it or was it Huawei? One of those two companies was building a, a, a crypto element into their phone. So, so that's possible. And then while we're on that subject, Maybe Square's already half doing it, and then Facebook decides, well, we better do it before Apple does it. Or maybe Google decides that they better do it before somebody does it. So you can tap into the competition of the big tech, and there's a lot of energy there. And They don't think they're curing the problem of deflation. They're not toppling the government. They're just trying to make money. Right? So there's technology. That's one way to make money. The gold bugs, by the way, 
they don't get technology at all. They just want to bury the gold bars under, you know, under their mattress, you know, for the zombie apocalypse, you know, and they've got it next to their AR-15s and the like. And that's your one constituency, and that's fine. They just don't know that Bitcoin is a better idea than gold. And the other constituency is big tech. And that's fine, too. There's a third constituency, which is, you know, the people that are macroeconomists, you know, all the macro people that are that are much more sensitive to the broad money M2 expansion. Right. Which and, and they resonate more with what Jeff is talking about. And from their point of view, the, I mean, the message to them is, you know, this this is a better inflation trade or a better macroeconomic uh, monetary hedge than shorting the 30s. But by the way, that's the best idea I come up with in macro, which is short the 30-year bond if I think this is happening. And I'm very familiar with that trade because I've done that trade. And I am in that trade right now. So, you know, you go find that. By the way, that's not inconsiderable group. There's people that have billion, tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. And maybe you just go to them and say, why don't you look at it this way? And um, I think... I think sometimes in the you know in the Bitcoin world there are the maximalists that are the after the zombie apocalypse the crypto anarchist and I love them by the way I, I <laughs> think they're great crypto anarchists I think they're great and they're the soul they're the soul of the end the the idea that I have to be able to operate Bitcoin via satellite the Lightning Network must work because when all the banks fail and Apple fails and every mobile thing fails, I need to be able, be able to like uh, go about my business. I think that's good in a way. Uh, but on the other hand, the other extreme is, you know, PayPal creates this wall garden and they just kind of build some Bitcoin into the PayPal app and you've got 1% of the functionality. But that's okay too. You know, what you really want is you want one ex one dipole to be the hardcore crypto anarchist and the other dipole or the uh, the other pole to be you know crypto techies you know that just think it's cool to build it into square cash or paypal and and they should live in harmony right they should all coexist in the market and they should grow and the entire ecosystem grows and paypal is not going to solve the problem of censorship resistant you know crypto anarchy resistant you know anti-fragile after the zombie apocalypse freedom and justice and truth they're not going to solve that problem but what they are going to do is they're going to solve the problem of keeping bitcoin from getting banned by the government for the next decade while we work yeah. through our issues because and you're going to have all of their regulatory you know government relations people working to keep people calm about about Bitcoin and not not put a bullseye on us for it. So we need that, and we need the other thing, and uh, we need to just incrementally work our way toward a better world. And more Bitcoin is better, and more users of Bitcoin is better, and more partners of Bitcoin in the ecosystem is better, and more investors. The gold bugs are investors. The macro guys are investors. The big tech are investors. You know, the hodlers, they're, you know, they're not big tech billionaires or they're not, and they're not gold bugs and they're not macro billionaires. But every time a macro billionaire comes into the space and says something about Bitcoin and gold, like we saw that with Druckenmiller, that's good. 
when Bill Miller, the value investor, comes in, he says that's good. That's good too, you know. And when uh, you know, and when Jack Dorsey, the tech guy, comes in, that's good. I think they're all good for different reasons, and uh, it's all just one step towards something better. And so, I, I think we just gotta we gotta keep continue to to grow every single part of the ecosystem, and see uh, and see if we can't go to a better place than where we are. There's two good points there that I want to dwell on, um, like big hedge fund guys uh, and failure. And Ray Dalio, I think just today or perhaps late last night, he he came out again talking against Bitcoin and listing like the three basic, clearly not done enough research. Uh, I'm sure you'll get there, Ray. <laughs> but like, you know, number one, it's uh, you, you can't use it as a medium of exchange. It's not good. You can't buy coffee with it. Just like the basic FUD, the real basic FUD. But let, let's talk about real failure. Like, what? Where can this thing go wrong? And where are you guys most concerned, uh, Jeff? If I flick that question across to you, um, I'd like to know because I know you've been uh, pretty close with the House and Commons, House of Commons, excuse me, in in Canada, and I'd like to know what you've heard or what you are most concerned about, and then we can get uh, into a couple of these rabbit holes around how Bitcoin might fail. So how far advanced the Bitcoin community is from the general community, it's staggering, right? Most of the world still lives in illusion that policies of the world still create a free market, and that's a good thing, right? And all of the printing is a good thing. And... And, and there's a whole bunch of people that benefit from that printing, right? If you have assets, assets are going straight up and you benefit from that printing. If you don't have assets and through that same same printing, you're getting destroyed and the cost is moving away from you and your wages are going down in real terms. That's And, and so, and through that lens, then we wonder why socialism takes reign, right? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? And, and, and changing an actor in the system doesn't change anything nothing the the entire system is bound to failure fail and so in the house of commons that's what i realized what so what i realized is okay i have a whole bunch of politicians using my book as trying to win votes on on different things and using it to make the other party look bad but will any change come out of that no chance zero chance um and 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 when and then, so let's move up the stack on what what ends up happening. You asked the question about the, the risk. I'm I'm going to use a, a, a business and, uh, analog here because it'll be easier to see. Um, most companies that go up against a monopoly, um, and I coach a lot of companies through through kind of change the world type of uh, companies. The ones that say we're going to do everything that the monopoly does always fail always the ones that take a tiny little part of a market that is un, un, underutilized that nobody recognizes and then and then grow from there and their and their innovation typically it might be a breakthrough in that little market but nobody sees it and i'll give you an example google in 2000 didn't go into everything it wasn't a platform search you couldn't make money in search in 2000 there was no money in it. Um, and all they did at Yahoo, which we advertised on at the same time, and every other website 
was trying to sell you advertising and you had to sign up with it by paying $5,000 for advertising spots on a crowded web page. And Google came out completely opposite, just free search. And nobody noticed them because it provided a 10x value in a tiny little market that couldn't be monetized. People noticed them, the venture capital community noticed them, everything else, but it was it, Microsoft didn't notice them. Oracle didn't notice them. All of the big tech didn't notice them because it was a tiny part, part of the market. And what they used is that tiny part of the market. And then with all of the users, moved into a platform that did everything else. Amazon and books, exactly the same thing, right? And a whole bunch of people talk about what it looks like today, but they miss what it looked like in the beginning. And all of companies that create a platform like this and a network effect platform start in a very narrow part. So if you look at Bitcoin as an innovation, it didn't go up against the entire monetary policy of the world and anything else and, 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 and transactions like Michael's talking about. It went up as a better store of value than gold. It's 10x was there store of value. <laughs> and, and, and then as the network evolves and more and more people come onto the network, it more and more people want it to win and the innovation comes into it. And so where we are in this governments will try, if governments try to stop it, some will, right. And they'll create game theory for other governments to accept it. Right. Which, um, so that path, but some will try to stop it. Their choices right now, because the existing system will fail, their choices are try to uh, try to stop it or or buy it to create a reserve currency on it. I suspect that that's what's going to happen. It'll turn into a reserve currency. And if it turns into a reserve currency, that means all of the innovation that, that Michael's talking about, that, that the on-on off-ramps will happen outside of Bitcoin and its innovational stop, right? Um, if governments try to stop it, the innovation will happen to Bitcoin and it'll, it'll move further, right? And um, in, in, into the market, it will where the crypto anarchists, right? We need to have satellite connection and everything else. What they're, what they're doing is making sure if it's stopped somewhere all, all over the place, that it's going to turn into not just a store of value, it's going to turn into a currency. And that's and and people mistake what it looks like now, just like they mistake what Google would look like today from, from 2000. Exactly the same thing. Or what Amazon looks like today, looking back to 2000. That's the same mistake they're making today on Bitcoin. Because they, they, they look at the use case and they look at the on-off ramps, which are still relatively difficult. They're way better today than they were four years ago. But but for new people, they go, oh, this is still hard. It's hard to understand and everything else. And with each new vote, each new person doing it, they go, oh, my God, I start to see it. And then they want to teach their friends and they want to bring their friends on because, because but the, I, can, I can see all of the next paths that, the, that they, and I don't look at it bad people. There's bad actors in any system. It's the system trying to stop itself from collapsing. It's a system. It's and, and people are looking at independent variables of the system instead of the overall system itself. So I can see all the next steps that are going to happen here, and and are all of those next steps. Here's one of the next steps. I'll just use one of them. Government governments buy 
essentially not using the bank as a the uh, sorry the Fed and and going around the Fed. So Treasury is going to become the Fed, and 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 the transmission mechanism is going to move to Treasury and governments to uh, for uh, to get money because what's happening today is printing of money. Banks are taking bad assets off their balance sheet and not lending the money because the bank is a private enterprise, right? And the bank won't lend unless there's an economy to lend and you can pay back your loan. So why M2 is collapsed everywhere is because of that, right? And governments know it and they can't stop it, right? So they have to go around the banks. What happens next? Why do you think JP Morgan's coming out and saying, wait, this Bitcoin might be a thing, right? Because the last bastion of free enterprise, the banking sector, which up until now has been the biggest beneficiary of, of government policies, is about to be overtaken by the government. And they're going to go in direct competition with them. So what do you think is going to happen? How many more people are going to learn <laughs> that, that, oh my God, right, here's what this path looks like, and, and where, do we, where do we find safety in, a, in, in another path? That's what's going to happen. Mike, <clears throat> excuse me, Mike, want anything to add there? If, do you have any real concerns about a, a credible failure if that's such a if that's such a thing of what would keep you awake at night thinking about Bitcoin failing and how that might happen? I'm not concerned about that. I think Bitcoin's going to be successful <laughs> with or without any of us. <laughs> I think it's already <laughs> it's already past the event horizon. And uh, it's going to continue. But I think that the, the challenge is to overcome or are uh, in the narrative. And I think this, the best thing we can do to encourage, encourage a smooth evolution and growth of Bitcoin is to focus on the store of value proposition. And, and I, I pointed this the other day. I think that it's worth $250 trillion as a store of value. I think that all the regulatory and execution risk and all and technical risk is um, is when people reach beyond the store of value and they attempt uh, they attempt to uh, position it as a currency, as a medium of exchange, as a payment system, or as a privacy or censorship tool. And as the, you know, as they go for privacy, they've got the bullseye on their forehead, and they get everybody worked up over money laundering and wire fraud. And when they go for and functionality, you know, they, they try to do all the smart contracts and functionality. <laughs> they create all these attack surfaces and all of these instabilities and stuff crashes, just like even the news of today, <laughs> a certain crypto network crashing. Um, and then uh, when they go for, you know, all the criticisms that we see from people like Ray Dalio and Noriel, it's like their, their criticisms of a straw man and it's all based upon the phrase cryptocurrency maybe cryptocurrency is the biggest problem we called it crypto asset and we said look it's not a currency it's an asset because you don't want to be a currency uh, a, a currency implies that you're competing with the u.s dollar which means you're going to war with the treasury which is a silly what why would you do that if i could if i was going to give you 250 trillion dollars to just be a store of value, why would you say, okay, I'm not going to take the money. What I want to do is defeat the United States government first. 
Like it's it's a it's a silly notion that I have to displace the euro, the yen, the dollar, and I have to and I have to circumvent Interpol, the FBI, and the Treasury Department. And I would also like to defeat Amazon and Google and Microsoft Azure in applications first before we solve the problem of store value. Because at the end of the day, and I think Saifedean said it pretty well in his book, it's like the crypto network is really good at one thing, which is, you know, decentralized, immortal sovereignty, right? If you want sovereignty beyond the reach of a country or a company, then a crypto network makes sense. You need it for one obvious thing, which is you need it to replace gold. You need it to re- as a store of value. If you want to replace every safe haven asset, a bond, gold, a stock, commercial real estate, which is the $250 trillion problem, you need a crypto network. You don't need a crypto network as a payment rail. You don't really need it as a dollar rail, right? I mean, you don't really need it to move dollars around. And and this is the thing maybe that... Um, a lot, of the, a lot of the people, the hardcore people in the community don't get, which is the government defines what a currency is. It's not a free market thing. If, if the United States government wants to define a currency, and, and then they set the tax policy so that you're a currency, you can function. If they define you as not a currency, then every time you move from left to right, you get taxed, and they tax you out of existence. And so, in essence, the law prohibits you from being a currency if the government's not going to allow you to be one. So I think that um, I think the risk that Bitcoin fails technically, that it gets hacked, you know, is much higher if it wants to be Amazon AWS, and if it wants to be a smart contract platform. And it's much high, and the, the risk that it gets shut down by a government is much higher if you're trying to circumvent treasury and wire transfer controls and the and privacy. And the risk is much higher that it gets taxed out of existence if you try to be a currency. And neither of none of these things really are that important. I, I, not that I I don't think they're that important. I think the single important thing to the entire world is. How are you going to stop the oxygen from getting sucked out of the blood supply of the civilization? And that's the point I think that that Jeff makes with his his um, definite. I mean, the 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 inflation versus deflation, you know, accelerator and brake, you know, simultaneously accelerating and braking around the ra- racetrack with those two ideas. That's creating a jarring dislocation in the society and a massive disruption. And we're not going to solve that problem for everybody, right? No one put us in charge of the planet. What we can do is lubricate that problem for anybody that chooses to adopt Bitcoin as a standard. And so Bitcoin needs to be a store of value to actually provide that lifeboat. That's all it needs to be. And in fact, once you make that decision, technically the problem becomes a million times easier to solve. So that, the security that's exactly problem becomes it. a million times easier yeah. to solve. That's exactly. And by the way, then you can be partners with Apple. Yeah. Apple's not going to be partners with you if you want to undermine the currency of the United States government. Yeah. <laughs> nor will PayPal. <laughs> nor will Square. Nor will anybody with any. They can't. Right. I mean, it's like I couldn't. I couldn't do it if I wanted to do it. And so, if you if your goal is to be successful, 
be successful as a store of value. And if your goal is to be right and unsuccessful and live in a corrugated shack, you know, in the middle of Alaska, you know, and pedal on a bicycle to make your own electricity and fish for your own fish, then I think you can do all the other stuff, but you'll be doing it alone. You won't be, and you're not going to be helping the seven and a half billion people because seven and a half billion people can't create their own energy and fish their own fish and they're not moving to Alaska. So but if you, you have to be practical about this. If you just play that, that's actually why I use that 10x example in a, on a, where a company starts. It actually doesn't really matter from here. What what Michael's saying, and I totally agree with, if if governments have, are forced to peg through it to it because it's a store of value and it becomes a reserve currency and the rest of the on-ramps are to it, it actually happens faster and it gets the same benefit. Because governments are elected by us, right? And it's not this is behemoth, and, and, and governments are forced to to do things differently along this path, and the innovation all, all, all moves there. So it, um, and if if somehow that doesn't happen, then I suspect there were, the Bitcoin will make its next jump into a wider medium of exchange. But it doesn't need to happen, right? It would be far better for everybody that. Amazon uses it. Apple uses it. Um, the, you know, the, Jeff, we're probably better off if we don't even call it a reserve currency, if we just call it a reserve asset. Right, right. Like, currency is such a toxic, charged word. You say currency, and everybody jumps all over you. Like, it's not a currency. It's not a medium of exchange. It's not a unit of measure. It's, you know, blah, blah, tax, tax. It, but, but no one is going ballistic crazy about owning Apple stock. Right. You know, like, or, or owning, <laughs> I mean, even gold. It doesn't generate the amount of vitriol. The, current, the word currency. So if we just said, we're going to make it the reserve asset. For the for example, Apple is a lot more likely to plug Bitcoin, the reserve asset in the iPhone, than they are to plug Bitcoin, the reserve currency. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's a semantic distinction, but Ray Dalio is basically going all ballistic crazy over the, over the fact that it's got to be a currency and it's not a currency. And then they want to they want to show you how smart they are by telling you that they know the definition of a currency. And the point is, it doesn't matter. It's not a currency. It doesn't need to be a currency. To be the world's reserve currency, it doesn't have to be a currency. right? The irony of that, totally, right? Yeah. it's like those crypto yeah. Twitter guys that tweet at you. Did you read the white paper? Satoshi said it had to be a peer-to-peer cash system. And because the transaction rate is 7 TPS, it, you know, they're tweeting, uh, and I'm thinking, yeah, I read the freaking paper. I understand <laughs> what it, you know, what the words mean, but I also understand that cash could be a could be moved in pallets of a hundred million dollars at a time on a reserve settlement network in the form of gold, and it also meets the standard. Yep. So, I think we're trying to get to a reserve asset that that preserves the monetary energy of the civilization, and that would be. And that's the most we're going to accomplish this decade, right? Like this, like long term, a hundred years, fifty years from now, maybe something different. But this decade, if we just got to the point where people put ninety-five percent of their money into a Bitcoin savings account, it got saved as an asset, and they converted it back into the fiat currency of choice in the country they're in, that last five percent of the way, I think we would be saving ninety-five percent of people's life energy and monetary energy 
And that's good enough. I agree. Like, that's I, the I, best I, we're going to do, I, right? I, 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 that would be such a change in, because what we're talking about on, on the existing system, effectively, it's just all of our time is being wasted, right? In chasing prices higher and higher and higher and out of a manipulation where, where our time moves way up in abundance with what t- technology. Let's just try to save 95% exactly. of it. So let's save 95%. By, by the way, Apple will sign up. Apple and Amazon and Facebook and Google will sign up to the mission of plugging into us if we just agree to stop at 95% right. and leave the last 5%. <laughs> leave the last 5%, which is currency payment system. Leave that to the big tech companies you know, and and then leave the last one percent, which is privacy. Just leave that to alternative tech, to alternatives, and and the lightning, and every, every Monero and and Zcash. Those guys could all pursue that, and then maybe it'll work, and maybe it won't work, and it'll be an interesting thing. But but you want to save the world. Ninety five percent of the world's money we can save. The last four percent, they're going to get it burned. It's going to get burned off by fiat inflation, and we can't stop that this decade. And the last one percent, that's you know, that's another project all on its own. And let's just let it do its thing, and let's not um, let's not put that as a deal breaker to saving the other seven and a half billion people's ninety five percent of their money. Should we should we touch on uh, CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, because I think this ties in quite nicely somewhere along uh, along that discussion. Uh, and Jeff, what um, what have you seen or or heard in Canada? And uh, did you think that as well is a is a credible threat? So it's not a credible. I, I talked a bit a little bit about it. No, it's not a credible threat. Um, it uh, it is. I think what it'll do, if you actually think about why they need to do this, right? So two big reasons, right? Number one, we already talked about, banks won't lend, right? And they have to redistribute money to get to essentially keep people from rising up in the streets, right? So so, so when we say, uh, and then that leads into the second one, why they can't take interest rates to negative 6% right now, which they would yesterday if they could, is because everybody will go down to their bank and take their money out of the bank and put it under the mattress, right? And the banks would fail and the, and, and the entire system would collapse. But if on a, on, a, on a digital currency, you could pick the pocket in an instant of people. You could pick their pocket without knowledge, right? Transfer wealth around all over the place. And, and, and so... As people start to see that a digital currency is complete manipulation, right, and it's more and more and it's more concentration of power, and that digital currency puts a bullseye with banks and uh, banks who last fat bastion of free enterprise, <laughs> um, then you're going to see. So that's what's happening right now. And if you look in China, right, I, what surprises me, what crazy surprises me to, uh, about with Dalio and everything else is how can somebody that smart, right, about what the world looks like in, in, in history of financial systems and everything else, look at China and what China is doing, which is really totalitarian control that could be ta- and, and, and manipulation ev- everywhere, and look at that and say, that's a good idea, right? I, I, I don't get it. 
Like, I just don't get it. And so when I say that fight, that, that, that what's going to happen is the more people see that that path leads to the greatest dictator and the big, the dictator turns into the biggest thug, that's that path. And I have no doubt that, so you better hope for benevolent dictators if you want digital currencies, right? (laughs) Because that's that, that you're, you're doing that path and every government will try to create their own. I have no doubt. I just don't think they'll be successful because the more, more and more people see what is happening is that Bitcoin becomes a beneficiary of that. And more people are going to go, oh my God, right? The free market is what creates jobs. The free market is what creates innovation. The free market is what creates uh, this power. And so I have two votes with my time and energy. I can I can vote and I can for the first time in human history I don't have to be manipulated by the state right for the first time in human history because of this innovation I personally have a vote whether I have ten dollars a hundred dollars hundred thousand dollars two billion dollars I can make my vote matter on Bitcoin instead of be trapped in this this uh, this path we know how it ends look back 2000 years of history right we know what what, what this looks like um and and for, so for the first time that, that uh, people have a choice that they can actually choose a free market and michael uh, what how have you how do you view cbdc's and um what that being a threat to to bitcoin some people think that 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 could um just set up a 6102 kind of attack on on bitcoin uh, you know, create your own digital coin, start distributing that to the masses, and then all of a sudden there's a, an order. Anybody holding Bitcoin has to convert it now to our digital coin uh, or else, you know. Um, has that crossed your mind? I, I think it's all overhyped. I think people probably have too much time on their hands. <laughs> like like the, the crypt, I mean, the crypto community, I think they tend to get wrapped around the axle on like these hyper hypothetical, overly intellectual, th- like what if green space aliens come down and invent a quantum ray gun and they pointed at us and they managed to hack something and this or that thing. Like, and what they ought to be thinking is there's $10 trillion in gold. Let's go get it all. <laughs> you know, like, for, I mean, for example, like, there's ten trillion dollars in Nasdaq, and nobody's sitting around thinking, "Oh my!" When the CBDCs get printed, people are going to seize all your Apple stock, or they're going to seize all your gold, or they're going to, you know, or when they come up with the quantum ray gun computer thingy, they're going to take over Facebook and crash the network. And I should sell my Facebook stock. I think they worry about all that, but it's, you know, sometimes I wonder if it isn't just the altcoiners just throwing all this FUD at Bitcoin because I just, I, there's just never end amount of like FUD like this. Like, no, like, like a digital, digital dollar is no more threatening to Bitcoin than a physical dollar is threatening to Bitcoin. They're totally different things. Right. Um, so, uh, I don't even think about it. It's doesn't cross my mind, but the other thing I think is, is it's overhyped. The likelihood that the government's going to roll these things out, I mean, like we might be sitting here talking about this three, four, five years from now, and they still haven't done anything. I think so true. It's kind of exciting to talk about, but but I, you know, it could take the government four years. How many years have we been talking about an ETF 
for Bitcoin, by the way, it's like <laughs> that regulators could spend years and years and years and years and years talking you, about this. You created and maybe it. nothing will, will happen. Everybody acts like this is really easy to do. It's not really easy to do. I mean, it took Apple three years to put an app store on the iPhone. Like it took them two years to put cut and paste into the iPhone. And I'm still waiting for my Apple watch to not have to get recharged every night. And that's like seven <laughs> years have gone by. So there are certain fundamental vexing things about technology that take longer. By the way, how about those Google glasses? You remember when those came out and they were going to change the world and everybody was freaked out about how Google glasses were going to take away our privacy forever. And I think that was like 2012 and it's like eight years have gone by and no one's wearing Google glasses. So these are all interesting things, but I don't know. I think we should talk about them when we actually have something to talk about. And uh, we, you know, it's, it's just another, it's probably interesting four years out if people figure it out in the sense that maybe, maybe uh, we can directly helicopter money to people instead of buying bonds. But even then, it'll be a big political debate. I mean, because the government could, they, they're buying a trillion dollars worth of bonds right now. And we know that, um, you know, the Fed buys $120 billion worth of bonds every month. They could give the money away to the people if they wanted. They're, they've got mechanisms to do it now. I mean, the, for example, the holdup on the stimulus, it isn't technology. It was that the Democrats and the Republicans couldn't agree on a stimulus package coming up to the election. So if we really wanted to give $10,000 per household, we have ways to do it. I mean, it would be it would be 5% uh, inefficient or whatever, but that didn't stop us ever before. <laughs> it's not stopping us now. So, you know, what do I think? I just, I, I think it's just another thing that's another technology that's, it's a lot easier to tweet about than it is to do. And uh, I, you know, how many com countries have really good mobile apps? We can't even vote on a mobile phone, right? <laughs> like name a country that managed to get a yes or no on a, on a, on a mobile phone. Like, I, can we name one? I, I, by the Chinese are way ahead of us. Ahead. So if anybody's going to figure it out, the Chinese will figure it out, and they're probably going to use Ant Financial to do it, or, or they'll use some private company to do it. But just because the Chinese figure it out doesn't mean that the next 14,000 governmental jurisdictions will, in the next 12 or 24 months, just follow them. I, I think it'd be like a technical train wreck. But play, but play that forward, and just let's use China as an example because people talk about where China's digital one is right now, and they're doing that exact same thing. They're trying to get people to use it, and they're kind of funding wallets to be able to get people to use it. Happening right now, it's a you want how far China is ahead of this, and their social credit system, and everything is government controlled, right? And and what that looks like now. Ask this. How many other governments are going to make that the, the store of value for their currency? No chance, right? So, so how do you enable trade around the world if all of these governments are doing this and still manipulating the trade? Because what they're doing is jobs are leaving, right? And you could and, and jobs are leaving because people put technology to reduce to the work, right? Just like we use technology. And if I'm a CEO, I'm doing that job. 
and it should make prices go down and abundance go up. That's what's happening all around the world. And so what governments are doing is trying to inflate their way out of that. And actually what they're doing is saying, I'm going to get, I mean, you're going to get paid a lot less for your job, right? You won't know it because we're measuring it in the local economy, right? You won't know you're getting paid less, but you're paying less. So the percentage of labor is going down and every government is doing the same thing. That's actually why they're driving, driving that's why they're trying to create the inflation is they're trying to save jobs. And they're making the problem worse because now what you have is you have an economy that if you're not a CEO that is taking technology and making it, driving it faster, then you're a ward of the state forever. You need government intervention forever to, you're just a zombie company. And so you have two totally different types of barbell types of companies, wards of state that rely on government intervention and technology companies that are driving everything labor out faster and faster working on network effects. Why do you think the difference, why do you think they're, the technology companies are growing so fast, right? Because they know the model. They know what a network effect looks like. They know how to build, construct companies to be able to, to do that. And the existing entire policy is making it happen faster. You can't change that. It's structural, right? Yeah. No matter what you well, do, what it, whatever digital currency, you cannot change that structural problem. Jeff, we're going to have to let Michael go because he has a meeting in like a minute and a half. But um, maybe we could uh, carry on with that once, um, if you've got time to hang around. Sure, a couple minutes, and, yeah. Um, Okay, cool. Um, before before you you both ring off, um, Michael, you mentioned in in uh, I think John's episode uh, about um, and this applies to both of you because y- you know you said wait for Zuckerberg to come in, wait for Bezos to come in, wait for Bill Gates to come in. These guys could come in, buy up billions and billions of Bitcoin, and then we've got you know kind of new people to look at and new people to to thank for coming in and. Uh, I don't think for one second either one of those guys is ever going to spend one minute of their time on a plebs, plebs podcast talking about Bitcoin uh, to the masses to help us understand you know, what's going on and where this thing's going. So to you both, uh, you've spent so much time, not only with myself and my own show, but with everybody else's and on the behalf of the whole community, I think you know, everybody would just like to say a huge thank you for, for, for what you're doing. I'm happy to be one of the hornets. <laughs> <laughs> me too, and I love that line. <laughs> uh, I, I'm grateful that they accept me. Thanks, thanks so much, Michael. Uh, we'll let you go to your meeting. Uh, have uh, have a great one, and look forward to the hundred k. Of course. Thanks, Michael. All the best. <laughs> All the best. Thanks, Jeff. Um, be, before we sign off, uh, I didn't want to cut you off there, but I just got a chat from Michael saying that uh, he had yeah, to no, no, jump to another yeah. meeting. So, uh, I'm sorry if um, if I cut off anything that you uh, you had further to say there. Um, before before you do go, if you do have time, um, I would like to ask you uh, about um, because your book. You know, I was re-listening to it again today, and we kind of touched on it before. You, you've got a whole chapter there: us versus them. And it's really very, very interesting. And this is deeply uh, psychological and kind of uh, ingrained in us. Through that lens, when you were writing the book and going down that, that rabbit hole and the, the work you did into that, uh, the studies that you bring up in the book as well, 
when we're talking about us versus them and Bitcoin versus fiat or Bitcoin versus government or Bitcoin, it seems to like be Bitcoin against everything. Are we getting a little bit too carried away with that? And do we, um, do you, how do you think about it? How do you think this looks like in five to 10 years time? So the reason I said, uh, so I understand it. I actually understand both sides. So if you, if you understand, you know, the way I wrote the book, pretty balanced kind of from a first principle standpoint, but I understand what happens to humanity as a result of things that don't look right. Right. And so, and I understand why people gravitate and they, they feed back and they listen to people that they, uh, it's an echo chamber becomes an echo chamber and it's hard to get out of the echo chamber. When you come out of the echo chamber, you look across at somebody else and you think they are crazy when it might be you. That's crazy. <laughs> and and it, but but it's it's um, I, I wrote in the book in the in the sixties seventies you convince a whole population that Tide was a better detergent than 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 others. So if you can do that with advertising and people actually believe it, right? You can do it with anything, right? And what ends up happening is you can so people will believe the stuff and they get trapped in a cycle. Right. We don't ask some of the most important questions. I use the one on the climate, right? Because we're in the system and we don't ask these questions ever, right? So we listen to how many people are talking about climate change without realizing that this, what we're talking about right now, is an order of magnitude bigger problem, right? That causes all the other problems. How many other problems are the same? So education. Right now, education is free, completely free, right? Um, so with an internet connection, I can learn anything. Top researchers around the world, I, it's, it's my time that's not free. Right? And, and, and so yet people choose 12 years in school, um, then another four years, then another four years. Why do they choose that path right now when everything today is free and it's just their time that's not? And they, and they choose that path because they believe that they'll get a better job which is the old system. And it's historically been true, right? Because historically, our parents grew up and the way I grew up, and that might have been true, right? Because there wasn't access to information that there is today. But it's not true anymore. And so there, so these almost, you could call them false prisons that we live in, um, feedback on themselves. And we believe, and we believe our narrative and we protect that narrative at all costs without seeing the truth, the truth behind it, or ask, even asking a question. And the same thing happens with us versus them. We align with people who share our beliefs and, and it feels good. Right. And people don't like to, to debate kind of those hard things. They like to be in, the, so they hear it all day long. They're with friends or with a group that hear back and forth and they get, it gets hardened in their mind without ever stepping back to look at the other side. Um, so it's natural. It's natural with the Bitcoin community. It's natural with any, any community. It's a natural, it's a natural thing. I try personally to take a step back and realize that I'm just a human being, make the same mistakes uh, uh, that uh, we all do. We all have the same biases. So if everybody else is likely to do it, then I'm likely to do it too. How do I stop myself more often? So you'll notice when I talk about how a system operates and back, bad actors in a system, right? It's not just the backed actors. You can change actor. Um, the system will still operate that way. And, and yet 
look at the political divide around the world today, everybody's talking about the actors, right? And, and, and venom, both sides, <laughs> actor, actor, a- a- actors. And I'm not saying there's not bad actors, right? I'm not saying that, but that is a, a that is an, or, it, it's way away from the root cause of the problem. It's way, and none of those actors are going to change it. So, um, the more people, that, and I think a lot of the people on the, uh, not all maybe, but a lot of the people uh, in, in Bitcoin actually understand that. It's a sy- systematic problem. It's a system problem. And that Bitcoin actually has a chance. I actually believe that Bitcoin is, is perhaps um, the best opportunity for a peaceful transition into what's coming. Uh, that's how strongly I feel about it. I feel uh, so. Mm-hmm. It, it has nothing to for me. It has nothing to do with the wealth creation. It has nothing. I understand that that's an important part. I love the Bitcoiners that are all a part of it, and it is actually an important part of the game theory that drives the network. Um, so it's so it's, these are all important parts. For me personally, I think we live in a world that's completely unfair. That is going to get worse and worse, and we're voting for manipulation. And then we go back. It, it, then we live in that world and, and, and all of our money comes from that world. And we look at people that are getting crushed by that world. We say, how dare you? I worked harder, right? Where, um, and, and so those incongruencies, I, I, I find it difficult to believe people can't see them. Like they can't see And, and so, so I look for uh, opportunities. Okay. What is the truth? Let's dig d- deeper. Let's dig deeper. What is that truth on the first principle? Is it true that there's manipulation? Yes. Is there true? Is it true that there has to be exponential in, uh, in manipulation, more money printing, to keep the system in check? Yes. Is that capitalism? No. Is that uh, is is that increasing asset owners' wealth? Yes. Does it make sense that a whole bunch of people without assets are going to rise up and take it back? Yes. How can how can that system continue to work? Crickets, right? <laughs> and and so now you can talk about now you can talk about how a new system would work and how everything changes. But unless you get break through that, there's just too much there's just too much venom that us versus them. Once you get this far past uh, past a system working, um, to be able to people don't even rise out of their their silo to even look deeper. They, they actually believe it's people problems. Yeah, it's, um, well, it, it goes to prove again the the pull of Bitcoin that it, that it has on people. It's such a, it seems like a cheesy, corny thing to talk about, but you've just, you know, articulated it perfectly there, that, um, that, that the change that it can bring uh, is, is tangible and it, it mind-blowing at the same time. Mind-blowing. Like it's a, it's a, it, I, I, it, the, the we're we're in an interesting we're going to be in an interesting ride for the next uh, 10, 20 years. It's not going to be easy. The transition. Anytime you have a kind of a currency regime failing like it's failing right now, there is going to be some ugliness on the way through. There's bound to be some back and forth where it would feel calm for a while, but that won't feel calm. Is in country by country, <laughs> as you as as this happens all over the world. Um, but but again, Bitcoin I think is the the best chance we have today 
for a peaceful transition. What a place to leave it. That's um, that's brilliant, Jeff. Thank you very much. Um, where where should people come and find you? I'll put it obviously in the show notes. Uh, I'm sure many people know who you are by now. Thank you so much for hitting the Bitcoin podcast scene. Uh, did <laughs> no you <problem. laughs> just where, at, Jeff, where, at Jeff Booth on Twitter is probably best. Did, when you wrote the book, did did you did you ever imagine that you'd be doing this many Bitcoin podcasts? No, or no. Is it, and, and, you, and you know, this isn't my role. I didn't write the book to try to make money no. off the book. In fact, it, 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 why it was so interesting when Michael said why he bought Bitcoin and what people what he thought people would do and kind of tear tear him apart for for doing it. When you believe with conviction on something that something's wrong as an entrepreneur, you cannot leave it. Right? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be an author. I don't. I uh, the the. I didn't have any intentions. I look at your kids, and I look at my kids, and I think I have to do something. That's why I did it. The only reason why I do these shows is probably exactly the same reason, right? That the more people that understand how important this is for our future, the better. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for uh, for coming on and uh, and doing this with Michael. Uh, really great to get you both both great minds in the space and and talking about these important things and you put me at ease the pair of you with um these credible attacks in in air quotes that uh, i'm sure we we still have to be very careful and probably good to have a certain amount of paranoia but um yeah there you go thank you thanks so much Jeff. thanks it was great Hey guys, thanks for tuning in and uh, listening to the show. I hope that uh, has got you all thinking or like me, kind of. Uh, I'm resting. I, I hope to rest a little bit easier because when when you hear two guys like this, um, and, and Jeff touched on this right at the beginning, um, as entrepreneurs, as these two clearly are very successful entrepreneurs, when you see something you can't unsee it and you just go do it because you know that is for the good of the company and for the good of the people that work for you and uh, their families and the the future of of whatever it is that you're building and whether that is a new service or product in your business you go do that you make that change and you make it happen because you see it Uh, in michael's case in particular he saw bitcoin and, and moved their cash balances into bitcoin uh, for to, to protect everything that the 2,000 employees had worked for in the past and built. And he's trying to protect it and make sure that this company's still around. And what Jeff's trying to do with, with the companies that he's involved with and um, advising, it's the same thing. It's the same battle. It's tr- trying to help people understand what Bitcoin is and trying to trying to choose that touch point with that particular person or those that particular group of people that you're talking with at that time and it's um it's such a a difficult thing to do because we are fighting these such ingrained systems that have been manipulated to the nth degree that we're also subjected to it from from such an early age you know we just get systemized in so many different ways so many so many different ways whether it's traditions cultural or familial and then education system obviously is another one 
health systems are another one we just like absolutely herded into this this herd mentality and stepping back and out of that and well we all know once you start interacting with bitcoin it makes you challenge everything that you've ever believed and it's difficult going up against this but it was interesting as well to get into the conversations about credible threats to bitcoin and where their minds are with that uh, especially the, um, the cbdc and i think uh, both of them strongly convinced that bitcoin is a store of value and that's all it needs to be and thinking about that is something when as jeff was attesting to the when you're building something new you concentrate on one thing and do that one thing really really good and perhaps that's how we have to view bitcoin right now as this store of value and if we can convince more people about that like michael was saying don't say cryptocurrency say crypto asset i've started talking about my um uh, uh, my sats as a savings account to, to new people that I'm talking to. It's, oh yeah, I have this savings account on the side. Uh, you know, um, you can set up a savings account with this company, XYZ, whoever you're using. If that's going to help people understand and make them feel more comfortable using legacy financial language uh, around how you're trying to get this message across, then perhaps we just need to change the narrative a bit and just iterate what we're doing. But um, long way ahead. And we are all so early. So, so damn early that I really, I, I know we say it, but do we feel it? Do we actually just like step back, take one second to think about it and say, my God, yes, we are so damn early. Like ridiculously early. Goodness knows where this thing can go. And we have, as we discussed, people like Ray Dalio still not there, still not even close to being there. And that just gives us plebs more time, right? There's, there's a land grab going on, people. Go grab every grain of sand you can. It is that simple. And if that's going to, if that analogy helps you kind of think about it a little bit better, just go grab a grain, another grain of sand on the land grab. And, you know, Stack your sats because this thing's going to take off. It's inevitable. And I, I, do we dwell on that word enough? Inevitable. It is inevitable. Or as Bitcoin Tina would say, there is no alternative. This is it. Let's go. I'm going to end there. Make sure you head over to coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten or our friends across the pond swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten go start stacking some sats with these guys they are bitcoin only they will hold your hand they will look after you they're doing all the right things they have loads of education so go partner up with those guys start your savings accounts now and tell your friends and family to go start savings accounts and if you want to find out other services that offer this kind of thing, get across to Twitter. Go find at Friar Hass, F-R-I-A-R-H-A-S-S. He's listed all the DCA services, I should say FCA, Fiat Cost Averaging, that uh, are close to you, and you'll be able to go find the company that suits you the best, nearest your jurisdiction, and start stacking 
open a savings account and let's go. Thanks everybody for reaching out, sharing, liking, commenting, reviewing, whatever it is you do. Really appreciate it. It's making a difference. We're getting guests like Jeff and Michael willing to come on the show and spend an hour and a half discussing these important topics. That wouldn't happen if you guys weren't listening and making a difference. Thank you, everybody. Take care. I look forward to the next show.